0: Welcome to another segment of our All Stars of Turf series presented by Foley and Air2G2. Our honoree today is Jason Haynes, who many in the industry might know from his relatively high profile social media presence a few years back, but might not know that he transitioned this year from the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia, 3,000 miles east to Inverness, Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, where he is the golf course superintendent at Cabot Lynx. Welcome, Jason.
1: Uh thanks, Peter, for having me. It's uh it's certainly an honor to be uh to ask to, to do this. I, I listen to every episode and uh, um, and to to be on it is just uh, is awesome. Thanks. Good. I'm glad you feel
0: that way. Um so I was actually surprised. Um, I lost track of you to a certain extent, as a lot of other people did, um, when you, for your own reasons, sort of withdrew from social media uh, a couple years back. Um, and we can talk about that in a bit. But um, so you managed a nine hole golf course, correct? Pender Harbor Golf Club. Yep. And that was pretty low budget. Um, it's
1: a uh, um, lower budget than a lot of superintendents would make in salary. Um, that would be the entire maintenance budget.
0: There you uh, go. So um, a great portion of the time you did it yourself or perhaps with a helper or two. Um, and there was a point in time after the financial uh, crunch of 2008, I guess, that really forced your hand in terms of um, how you managed your turf uh, from an input standpoint um, and also from, a, um, you know, mowing, spraying, top dressing, whatever else that involves spending money. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: It really kind of started in 2010 When uh, I think it was September, October, my finance director came to me and said, we're out of money. Um, We've had a few membership members pay their dues ahead of time so we can keep you employed for the rest of the year, but you have no money to spend. Um, Good luck. (laughs) So um, it was was at a similar point in my career where I was kind of, I mean, I was new into my career only, you know, three years as a superintendent um, and uh, I guess nine years uh, in the, golf course industry and and uh i was kind of bored with everything um but i kind of um at that time just set to work just trying to figure out how i was going to make it work uh with with a lot less money um started doing some research and that's uh kind of when i came across uh, a thing called minimalism um and there was, you know, some courses actually, it, it, coincidentally, it was a course designed by Rod Whitman, who's, who's designed Cabot Links, where I am now, Sagebrush in British Columbia, and they were doing a talk. Um, and a lot of superintendents were mad because they kind of accidentally suggested that people were wasteful in their inputs and everything else. And, and uh, But anyways, I went to this, and I, that was my first kind of introduction to minimalism, uh, where it was kind of like the goal was to use as little as possible, and... and up until that time, you know, mainstream golf media um, was all about, you know, highlighting like the, the top courses in the world where like massive budgets and like, look how much we spend. And, uh, you know, and, and that as a small golf course or a superintendent at a small golf course really wasn't really helpful. So I, I learned about this, started doing more research, and uh, it really kind of inspired me to to see, you know, actually how low can we go? Um, let's, let's turn this into a bit of a challenge. Let's not feel bad about it. Let's embrace it. And, uh, and that's kind of when I started writing and getting involved with social media. And then I guess the rest is history. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. I think that the, um, you, you fairly quickly developed a reputation um, as, a, as a free thinker Um, As someone who's not afraid to question the status quo, um, someone willing to uh, discard old habits or, you know, doing things because that's the way they've always been done or that's what the records from last year indicate that you should do, um, that kind of a thing. I think that resonated with a lot of guys, regardless of what their uh, budget Status was, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I guess I mean I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a free thinker. I mean, ultimately, back then, um, and every time that I've you know really made personal improvements and improvements on the golf course, it's been through a f- being forced. Like I mean, I was literally out of money, um, and and then you know, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is "Don't let a good crisis go to waste." Um, so it's a great time to, to drive radical change and, um, nothing that I've done essentially hasn't been recommended from guys like Frank Rossi. Uh, you know, you know, if you actually listen to his podcast, um, or guys like Michael Woods, if you actually listen to what they're saying and you do it, I mean, it's, it's what I'm doing. And, uh, so, you know, kind of taking the science, believing it and then doing it, um, And I I guess maybe one of my strengths maybe isn't necessarily being a free thinker, but it's just being able to embrace change. Um, so I am, I'm from a golf course standpoint anyways, very, uh, uh, open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. And, uh, um, I mean, maybe I was at one point now (laughs) over time, I find myself being less open to new ideas, but, um, uh, but uh but I'd still work hard to to be open to that.
0: Well change scares a lot of people for whatever reason. Um so the the social media thing um you gained some notoriety with that and which ultimately led to an invitation to speak at some conferences and i recall one which i think was at uh gis that particular year where you were on a panel with um chris trideball and matt crowther and uh joe vargas was it not how did that how did that come about
1: that was one of my second that was my first time to GIS, which was just it, as you are probably and everybody else is aware, is it's like by far the biggest turf grass show anywhere. Um so that alone was a bit mind-blowing. And then uh, I was on a we were on a a little panel in this room that could maybe seat 100 people and and we we get ready, and we all have, we'll have our little five-minute presentation prepared. Um, and all of a sudden, like the room is like standing room only, and there's people piled out into the back. And uh, that was kind of my, I mean, I was there with Chris Tridibah, who, you know, to me at that time, he was a big inspiration with um, blogging and sharing greenkeeping ideas uh, openly online. Uh, same with Matthew, uh, did the same thing on TurfNet uh, specifically and, and sharing his ideas about. Um, sustainability and then obviously just Joe you know I you know studied his textbook in college so to be sitting beside him was also just kind of a little bit of a, a mind-blowing experience and uh, uh, I mean I later found out that all of us were kind of feeling the exact same thing and it was it was my first kind of uh, experience with like the power of the internet and the power of social media and uh, it was it was a super cool and I mean I think my talk was about fertilizer and how I was able to, you know, maintain good quality turf grass with drastically like up to 80% less. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was really cool to sit beside Joe and, and you know, uh, he, he complimented me on one of my um, my comments, which was basically the idea that once you put fertilizer down, you can't take it back. So you better be damn sure that, that what you've put down is what you want like, because uh, if you put down too much, you're going to have, you know, uncontrolled growth and you're going to have to live with those consequences until the you know effects of that fertilizer wears off. And so he really liked that. And that was, to me, was kind of mind-blowing. And then getting to be sitting beside Chris and, and Matthew was just, uh, I mean, as I look back, uh, certainly one of my career highlights to date It was, uh, it was a really cool experience. And then since then, I mean, I've been with a whole bunch, done talks about like, With alongside Micah Woods, alongside Dr. Larry Stoll, uh, Bill Kreuzer, still, again, all of these people who I've looked up to uh, as a young superintendent, all of a sudden, I found myself doing talks alongside them. And I'm sometimes all over the world. It was pretty neat.
0: I can imagine the, uh, going back to that panel at uh, your first one, or second one, I guess, at GIS with those guys that I can just picture the electricity going back between the, the four of you guys up on stage there and uh, what a buzz it must've been for you, you know, again, to, uh, to be rubbing elbows with these guys that uh, here's this little guy from Podunk British Columbia, you know, with, with, uh, you know, um, being right up there with guys that are used to the national stage.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, uh Back then, I think I was mostly intimidated and like scared out of my mind. But uh, also, you know, uh, going from not, you know, maybe doing a little public speaking with, you know, 10 to 15 people to like, you know, 300 plus, that's a bit of a jump. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess I did an okay enough job and and uh, it was yeah. looking back on it. I think it's uh, better than it was in the moment. <laughs> So,
0: what other locations did you speak at? Do I recall Iceland as one of them?
1: Yeah, I uh, I was well. I was asked to speak in Ireland, and that was super cool. I was able to go uh, visit John Dempsey, um, and I spoke at a conference there. And uh, and then uh, Bjarni uh, Hannison from Iceland, uh, he got me to on the way back from Ireland go visit Iceland for a couple of days. And uh, I think to this day that's still the most interesting place I've ever been. Really? And ever since I was there, I want to go back so bad. Um, and I've also been to Denmark and the Netherlands and I've been to three golf industry shows. So I did San Diego, Orlando and San Antonio um, and then numerous Canadian shows and um, just sharing. I mean, just my experience, which is ultimately all I have to say is just what I've done and, and ultimately, those are the the talks that I I enjoy just as much as the this you know the Tom Nicolais or the Frank Rossies is as I like I like to hear from other superintendents just tell me your story so that's kind of all I really do and and uh, for some reason some or quite a few people uh, enjoy it so it's been been kind of cool
0: nice so um, you did withdraw. Um fairly abruptly, I think, from social media. And I think that's where, um, I guess, I lost track of you for a brief period of time. Uh, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for a while, I mean, social media obviously was a big part of the success I had with speaking and sharing my ideas and learning um, to the point where I think I was, at the time, in the top five, for sure, uh, followed turfgrass accounts, which isn't saying much as far as um, some people on social media. But as far as turfgrass, it was pretty big. Um, But it got to the point where I found just kind of reflecting on my own use of the of the medium was that almost every time I like would log into Twitter, which was quite often, you know, many multiples of times a day, I felt worse after using it. And it wasn't necessarily I, I can't place blame on other people often more often than not actually it was me it was how I was acting towards other people or something stupid I would say um, but but you know sometimes yeah it was you know when you have 8,000 followers or whatever it was uh, uh, there's a good chance that a couple of those people are having a really bad day and they're also going to say something stupid that makes me feel bad and, and it was just I feel like I, I don't know if humans are, are, uh, because, because it was still small enough. I didn't like, it wasn't like I had millions of followers where most of that gets weeded out. Um, it was still a small enough group of people that I could read every single message, uh, and every single message still had impact. And, uh, I don't think humans are, uh, or anybody is capable or anything is capable of dealing with that much feedback, <laughs> you know, to the point where it's, uh, it, it's, it's too much and just more than what I could handle. Um, so that's why I did it It was personally just me. And, um, yeah, so, and, and it was a hard at first because I mean, there's a little bit of certainly a bit of addiction, uh, for someone like myself who was that involved with it. But I mean, after a couple of weeks, I didn't miss it. I I quickly learned to, you know, that the information that I needed was still available. It's just, it wasn't being forced down my throat, uh, quite as much. So,
0: So, agronomically, how has the transition been for you um, moving from a primarily POA existence on the West Coast to an exclusively fescue uh, product on the East Coast? Any challenges there or easier, harder?
1: I, well, I was saying, like, in, if I had to explain in one word, it's awesome. Um, uh, to me, you know, since I learned about minimalism, I've been working toward ultimately towards being at a facility such as this, you know, yeah. uh, I, I ultimately found that, you know, with the chemical restrictions in Canada, and the, the severe drought that we were facing out west, that POA just wasn't sustainable anymore. So I was finding ways to transition away from POA. We were, were, you know, interceding bent grasses, making big gains there, actually massive gains um, in a place where people said that you couldn't grow bent grass, uh, that POA was the only thing. And uh, so ultimately for me, um, you know, when this job came up, I was like, "This, this is the perfect job for me, this is, this is everything I have been working for, um, as far as just low input, this minimalist maintenance, uh, style, um, of greenkeeping, keeping and, and ultimately like the, um, you know, the allure of working on a Lynx golf course. I mean, it's, it's kind of where golf kind of began as this style of golf. Um, it's been just really cool, um, And and a lot of the hard work that I've done over the last 10 years, I think has prepared me for this. So it, um, I'm, I'm surprised that I wouldn't say it's easy because it's only been one season and I haven't actually experienced, uh, even a small fraction of the difficulties that could be presented at a single property, but it was been, it's been one of the most rewarding uh, seasons of my career. Um, and just, just so interesting and so much fun. And, uh, um, you know, I still can't believe I'm here really. It's, it's been just so much, so good.
0: It's a pretty big leap going from, uh, again, relatively obscure, uh, clubs, um, to one that is what in the upper thirties, I guess, of the top 100. Um, yeah.
1: Me, it, it's kind of funny. I kind of joke. It's like, uh, I now work at a top 100 golf course and I came here from a bottom 100 golf course. <laughs> that's not true. I mean, the courses I was at were, were, were I think we certainly, uh, we were better than we should have been. Um, that's for sure. And, uh, and, and they're still pretty, you know, done good. Uh, the people that have taken over since I've left, uh, I think are doing a great job. But um, yeah, it certainly is a big leap to think that, five years ago I was at a nine hole golf course uh, in the middle of nowhere to being at a top 100. I honestly, this was not part of the plan. I was, I was perfectly happy at Pender Harbor. Um, I could have worked there for the rest of my life. Um, that was the plan. Um, I wasn't aspiring to great things. I'm not really a goal setter. I just try to do the best that I can every day. And, uh, and ultimately uh, an opportunity came up for my last job and it was too good to pass up. I couldn't let it go. Uh, so I put everything I could into that and I was very lucky to, to be accepted to that. And then when I saw this job again um, and just did a bit of research about it um, and ultimately you know, accepting the job is the easy part, but making it work for your family Um, which I have, I don't have two sons and and a, a wife and, and, you know, a house and everything else that we had to, you know, discuss about it was, you know, equally, um, ultimately I owe this job equally to my wife's support, um, as anything I've ever done. So for us to be able to make that work and to sit down and, and take that risk, um, which, and it was very incredibly difficult, um, it, it's not like it was, <laughs> it was not easy moving across the country. I'll tell you that. And, you know, uprooting, I, know I lived in the same town my entire life um, to move out here. Uh, it, I don't take it lightly. Uh, and it was very difficult, but it's so far been totally worth it. And um, again, just so feel so blessed and lucky to be here and to have the support of my wife. And, uh, and then again, just to work at such a, an amazing place, amazing property, amazing people. Um, We just have such a good uh, group of turf managers here. Like I'm used to being by myself and like the only interaction I had with other turf managers was Twitter until I quit that. And then it was just you know, the local superintendents, but now like uh, you know, my, the director of agronomy, Lee Stratt, uh, you know, to be able to have like intelligent turf grass discussions every day, it just like kind of blows my mind. Um, And then the other superintendent, Jason Zeebel, at the cliffs, which is the number one course in the country and the 10th in the world. Um, He's amazing, he's been super supportive and just, uh, it's super cool to be able to be, um, you know, you usually have a golf course that, you know, next door and you're able to help out, but like we're literally the same business. Um, So to have like another golf course right beside you where you can share equipment, where you're encouraged to share equipment um, and resources and knowledge and everything else, um, it's just been—it's—I mean, it's like a—it's like Disneyland for greenskeepers. I would say. I mean, there's a lot of hard work, but uh, as much as it is a mecca for um, a lot of golfers, I think the same is true or could be true for greenskeepers. It's really cool place
0: to work. Yeah, for those—if um, anybody sh- should be unfamiliar with uh, Cabot, Cape Breton. Uh, shares some lineage with um, Bandon Dunes in Oregon. Uh, the, Mike Kaiser was a uh, one of the original co-owners um, And uh, certainly we at Turfnet are, are big fans of the Cabot experience again, very often from a minimalist, Standpoint. The golf courses are minimal minimalist. They don't have all of the nonsense, the ball washers and cart paths and all that kind of stuff. The the facilities are uh extremely high quality yet understated. Um and I'm sure that uh that minimalist um philosophy that perhaps um, led to the success at Bandon is contributing in part to um, uh, how Cabot Cape Breton and some of the other Cabot properties around the world that are uh, emerging now, Cabot St. Lucia, um, Cabot uh, Highlands, I guess, over in Scotland, right? The, the old Castle Stewart property and... Um,
1: Citrus I, Farms and Revelstoke.
0: Revelstoke in British Columbia. What what's the one in Florida again? Citrus Farms. Citrus Farms, which was the old World Woods, I think. Uh,
1: sure. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, yeah, I would say minimalist. Um, but you know, the one thing that kind of isn't minimalist, and something that's kind of been surprising to me. Um, which has nothing to do with greenskeeping because I mean, the golf courses are amazing. They're by hands down the best golf courses I've ever played. Um, which isn't saying too much because I haven't played that many courses, but, but they are, they are truly good. Um, it's the, the hospitality is anything from minimalist. So, uh, I just can't believe that. I mean, ultimately it's great golf. Um, it's, it's pretty luxury um it it looks somewhat plain but it's very very high end and the the team that we have um that i'm lucky to be a part of and and sit in on the daily meetings with is uh is certainly uh next level i mean it's unbelievable the uh, lengths that they will go to to make somebody stay here special and uh, it definitely shows and it definitely i think sets us apart um and it's again it's inspiring to be a part of a team that is like doing their best uh like i certainly don't have to like feel like i'm the only one trying here it's like everybody here is like here to be awesome and it's so it's 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 easy to be inspired to do a good job here like uh every day there's just like people doing so much good um and just kicking so much butt so it just makes you want to do the same so it's, it's really cool
0: I could see that uh, inscribed on the maintenance facility wall somewhere. We are here to be awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I mean, um, it, the, you know, the, the design of the golf course, and everything else, that's like kind of the foundation. But what makes any facility awesome is the people that are there that are doing the work. Um, and without people actively making it awesome, the place won't be awesome. Just because you come to work here doesn't make you awesome. You have to make this place awesome. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the other way around. So um, we we definitely realize that and we don't take it for granted. We are here uh, trying to be better every day.
0: Your comments about um, appreciating having other guys there, um, like Lee and Jason and Rob Monroe and, and people like that, Um, it it brings to mind something that I think is an increasing issue with superintendents today who are, you know, standalone at their facilities and that um, that's isolation and loneliness because everybody's under so much pressure to, um, you know, not leave their facility. I mean, when I first started in this business, I I don't know what 40 years ago, you know, it was commonplace for, for superintendents to get together with other local guys for coffee on Friday mornings or, you know, beers at four o'clock on Tuesday or whatever it happened to be. Um, and you don't see that all that much anymore. And, um, it, it's even to the point where a lot of the um, the chapter meetings and things like that, um, people tend to not go anymore, you know, um, which I think is a problem. So I do uh, app- appreciate and and applaud your situation where you've got other guys that you can sit down and really pick each other's brains and and bounce ideas off one another and and that kind of thing. How large is your staff? Uh, Uh,
1: It's not, I would say, I mean, it's the biggest staff I've ever had, but it's not, I wouldn't say, insane. So I think right now, currently, I'm at uh, 12. Um, But we aspire to one day have 18. (laughs) Now we have, uh, that's just the links. That's just the one golf course. We have the cliffs. um, They're about 20. And then we have a a par 3, 10-hole nest, which is about four or five. Um, and then we also have a landscape department, so we have the landscaping around the you know the resort area and through, through various facilities through town. Um, that's another uh, well, we have two people, but we're hoping to get more. Um, so it's uh, it's not not massive, but we want it to be bigger than it currently is, and uh, we're we're working hard to to try to get some good people out here.
0: And that's that's the um, stumbling block would be. You know, I'm assuming it's a fairly remote community in Inverness. Um yep. you, you are on the west coast of Cape Breton Island, um almost directly across from Prince Edward Island, correct?
1: Yeah, and I mean if uh, if you go east, the next thing you run into is like Portugal, Spain, uh Africa. <laughs> There's not much. I mean, the closest big city or the closest city, it's not a big city is, is Halifax. And that's three and a half hour drive. Um, I mean, part of the, the allure of this place for the golfers is the remoteness. It's, it kind of feels like it's undiscovered. You're off the beaten path. um, And uh, it's pretty, it's similar to Bandon, right? It's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere.
0: You've got to want to go there
1: you do you really have to want it um and uh it, i would say it's the same thing uh for uh greenskeepers. um i mean part of the allure to me being from a small town was that i was going to another small town um and so uh you know again that's it's you get all the benefits of a small town it's just uh you know nice to feel part of the community you you quickly get to know quite a few people and and feel uh, like other people know you um, which is nice uh, I feel anyways uh, depends on if you have how much you have to hide I guess but uh, (laughs) it's uh, it's a really nice little town and um, and I mean uh, so far we couldn't be happier.
0: That's great that's always the biggest question mark when you you make any kind of major move is how it's going to impact your family and how they're going to respond and And to, to have that be a a positive for them and in turn, um, support you and, and a positive for you is, is outstanding. Um, so with a staff of 12, what, what's your, um, are you, uh, in terms of, um, mowing and, and things like that, uh. You're walk mowing greens, I assume. No nope. triplexing? of
1: Yeah, we. Uh, so, I mean, this this course is kind of neat. Um, so it's fescue, pea to green. Um, and one of the things about fescue is it's not very traffic tolerant. So to get around that is you make the surfaces massive. So our greens are a probably double average size. We have a few 10,000 square foot greens. We have a double uh, green that's 25,000 square feet. And I think we have close to five acres of putting greens and we have 65 acres of fairways. Um, so huge amount of grass but it's fescue. It grows slow. Uh, it requires hardly any water. Um, this year has been wet but we haven't had to use sprinklers at all on our fairways. Um, and,
0: and, and this is the beginning of September.
1: Yeah. it's We, we haven't had to irrigate um it, at all really, um, hardly any fertilizer. So I've used, used a fraction of the fertilizer that I would use on say, uh, bank grass or uh, rye grass or bluegrass, uh, course or greens. Um, sure. We're mowing uh, a lot more grass, but we're not mowing it as frequently. So we're, we, we collect the clippings on our fairways. Um, mm-hmm. and we'll cut, we'll cut like nine, nine holes a day and we'll fill up the backs of two golf carts. So it's, it's not like I would fill that with like, you know, a, you know, three passes on on one of my old fairways on a, you know, a bluegrass fairway. So we're really, it, it, it's massive, but it really is, is not that uh, uh, for the, for, for the size, it's not that much work. It's still a ton of work, obviously. Um, sure. Trying to produce a premium product here. So um, I don't want to say it. it's not a lot of work, but but for the relative to the size of the property the size actually makes it lower maintenance because that traffic is spread out
0: what's your favorite product
1: like product or tool
0: (laughs) whatever you want it could be equipment could be fertility could be pgr what whatever you want to talk about
1: i would say uh my favorite product is probably urea um but my favorite tool is definitely a roller um I've, you know, since, since probably 2010 for the last 12, 13 years, uh, I've been rolling like a maniac and, and, uh, you know, originally people said, if you roll your greens more than two or three times a week, you're going to kill them. Uh, and I started rolling my greens 21 times a week and I didn't kill them. It just made them better. And, um, so I don't do that just mostly for I just don't have the time. <laughs> um, that, was,
0: that was somewhat under the guidance of Tom Nikolai, was it?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you, again, just reading and, and listening to the scientists, believing them and just doing it and then seeing for myself. Um, so doing that. And and then, I mean, even on fescue, we're rolling seven days a week here. Um, it just, you know, you get, just get smoother, faster greens, reduces disease. I mean, yeah, uh, just the the list of benefits goes on and on. It's just it's all about having a good operator and and uh, maybe giving a little extra fertility in, in spots where the machine changes direction, which uh, you, you know, which might cost me an extra fifty bucks a year because I'm using urea. So it really uh, is not that big of a deal. Um, you roll
0: fairways yet?
1: Roll fairways? Well, I'm trying to get Lee, I'm trying to get Lee to let me buy a ten ton roller. Uh, he's quite resistant. But uh, the next time, I swear, the next time a paving company comes to town, I might have to go uh, get my mechanic to hotwire it and take it for a practice run, because uh, I, I think we could benefit from rolling our fairways, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait, I think.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I think that we've uh, pretty well handled this topic for today. Uh, I certainly appreciate your um, participation. We're going to highlight some of the other people at uh, Cabot Cape Breton um, in the coming weeks, because uh, you certainly have a staff there that's deserving of it. Um, we are going to uh, send you a, uh, a nice swag box with uh, some stuff from both uh, ourselves and Foley and Air 2G2. So uh, keep your eyes open for that and um thanks very much for your uh, participation
1: well thanks peter it's been an honor and uh i'm looking forward to some more swag and uh and uh yeah i just uh i'm really excited to, to be able to talk to you today and, and
0: uh yeah thanks okay good deal thank you